Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're so glad you've joined us today for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a five-week series entitled Guardrails. In this series, we're discovering how many of the regrets we have or will have can be avoided simply by establishing personal guardrails. Dr. Kelly is covering the most relevant topics like friendship, marriage, finances, and career. Now here's our guest speaker today, Pastor Chad Lunsford. How are we doing today, church? We're doing good. I can tell you guys came to worship. Glad you are here. Welcome to everybody here at the Central Campus. Why don't we give it up for all of our campuses? I'm talking about Columbia, North Raleigh, Garner, Sanford, Internet, Coffee House, New Hope, Nairobi. Uh, internet, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing one of you, all of you, but hey, check it out. I told you last week I was going to tell you about a miracle that took place with us in Kenya just a few weeks ago. If you uh, are new around here, you might not be aware of this, but we are starting a campus in Kenya, New Hope, Kenya. We have two pastors who are co-leading it, pastors Zeke and Gloria. Then we got a children's pastor, student pastor, worship pastor. They are ready to go. They got a core group of about 30. They got an awesome facility. It's a community center that we've locked in on a lease with. It is a fabulous facility, except they got this little problem with sewage. I know. And it's too small of a pipe. I'm not going to get too much into the details. You know what I mean? But it's just bad. And I, I know it's a different place. Kenya's different from here. But I don't care where you worship. There are some things you just need to be able to do. And you need to be able to worship God without the smell of sewage. Can I get an amen? amen. So we're there. And uh, they're telling me about it. And uh, I was like, well, I need to see how bad this is. So they walked me back to the... To the, to the bathroom, wash, what they call the washroom. And sure enough, I mean, it, it was bad. And so we're there and um, I'm like, let's pray. Let's pray over the building. Let's pray that God will use us. We're going to launch this campus in July. So we gather out in the yard and we start praying. And I don't know how else to describe it except to say the spirit of God just kind of descended. And, and we just prayed and prayed and prayed. And in the midst of my prayer, I prayed that God would help us figure out how to fix this sewage problem. Because it's been that way for like five years and no one can fix it. And no one has the funds for it and all that kind of stuff. Well, when I get finished praying, we lift our heads and there is a couple, a man and a woman who they weren't there before we started praying. And one had a suit on and she had a nice dress on. I could tell these people are official. And so I introduced myself and we started talking and they have a clipboard. And I said, so what are you guys doing? They said, oh, well, we walk around and we're environmentalists. I said, well, <laughs> we got a little environmental problem right over there. And she goes, I know, look, we just condemned that and we're going to put in new pipes within three weeks. That's how God works, church. That's how God works. It was incredible. And uh, we just come back letting you know that God is up to something big at New Hope, Kenya. Amen. Well, let's go get this today. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. We're in a series called what? We're in a series called Guardrails, and we're about to bring closure to this. We're in week six. Do not miss next Sunday. We're going to have Holy Communion together, and we're going to talk about guardrails that God gives us in our weekly worship. Very, very excited about that. But a little review for those of you who maybe, you know, you just showed up here today, and you really don't know where we've been. Let me walk you through this. So the series Guardrails is based 
upon the uh, normal analogy, secular analogy that we see when we ride down roads, and that is guardrails are everywhere. They're so commonplace we don't even see them anymore. But the, the notion behind the series is that guardrails serve a very good purpose. They keep you out of the ditches of life. So we don't question the guardrails, right? We don't say, you know, I wish the daggum DMV. We quit putting guardrails everywhere. Because we know that if we're riding down the road and a deer comes out and we swerve, or if a kitty cat comes out, and I guess we swerve. No, no. Those of you who don't know, I, I, have a, I have a love for cats. And um, I haven't told you guys this. Our cat died. It really did. Our cat died of like... Uh, 17 years. Her name was Duchess and Duchess died. And it was really quite sad. I mean, I know I pick on cats, but it was really sad. I walked out and our cat was dead in the driveway. And so I, I didn't know what to do. So I went over there and I wrapped it up and I went and told Amy and I knew the tears would start coming. And sure enough, the tears started to come and, and the kids got a little upset. And then I decided, Hey, wh- what do you do when you're a pastor, when your cat dies, you have a funeral, you have a ceremony. So I wrapped the cat up and, and we all seven of us, we started to walk down into the woods. We had a procession going on and, and, and I've got the cat and I'm in the front and we're walking down and Benjamin, my boy, Benjamin, he's the one who is in the cafe every Sunday. He's a great barista. And so you give him some love. Yeah, he's awesome. You know that. Well, he's also a preacher's kid. He's been around a long time now. And so he's in the back and we're walking into the woods and he goes, dearly beloved, He goes, we have gathered here today to bury this cat. He kind of was working the wedding uh, liturgy and the funeral liturgy together, but it was awesome. We went down in the woods and buried our cat. But anyway, um, so you're riding down the road and something, or you fall asleep, right? We don't say we wish there wouldn't be any guardrails because we know, don't we, intuitively, that it is better to hit a guardrail, maybe wound our pride, maybe damage our vehicle a little bit, than to go over the guardrail and crash and burn and wreck our lives, which is what happens to so many believers today. And so this series has really been a life-giving series, and I hope you've been blessed. Have you been enjoying guardrails? Yeah, it's been a good, good series. So by way of review, I gave you a definition the very first week. Guardrails is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit Areas. Now, we, we know that, right? That's a guardrail on a road or a highway. What I did, though, the very first week, and I've been returning to every single week, is I gave us another working definition. And here it is. Why don't you read it out loud with me? Ready? Go. A standard of behavior that becomes a matter of... Becomes a matter of what? It's a standard of behavior. That becomes a matter of conscience. So I've been talking to us about the way in which God's word is so gracious that it lays out for us guardrails that if the Christian will heed the guardrails, it will enable her or him to stay out of the disasters of life. And so many Christians fail to do this. This is not a matter of salvation or not. 
in most of these situations, this is not even a matter of sin or not. This is a matter of conscience. And I've been working really hard to make sure we put these guardrails up so that if we even get close to a danger zone, we've so established a conscience, a world, a biblical worldview, if you will, a conscience that keeps us from getting anywhere close. Now, the subject matter that I'm going to talk to you about today is one that most of you probably don't want to hear me talk about. Reminds me of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, y'all know the great Billy Graham. Billy Graham, still alive. His, his late wife, Ruth, passed away. Billy, a long time ago, pulled into a little small town to preach a revival. And it was during the daytime. The revival wasn't until 7 o'clock at night. And he needed to find the post office because he wanted to send Ruth, his wife, a card, a postcard. So he asked this little old boy, he said, son, can you tell me where the post office is? And the little boy said, well, Sure. You just go down there to the stop sign. You take it right. It's right over there on the left-hand side. Billy Graham said, oh, thank you so much. And he started to walk away. And he turned around. And he goes, oh, I want to tell you, I'm preaching a revival tonight at 7 o'clock at that church right now. I'm going to be talking to people about how to get to heaven. I hope you'll come. Little boy says, sir, I think I'll pass. You don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> he didn't want to have anything to do with it, right? Some of you are going to feel a little like that when it comes to the subject matter that I'm going to talk to you about today. I promise not to make it very painful, but here's what I realized a few weeks ago. I wanted to actually move in a different direction, but you would have every right to sue me for sermon malpractice. If I wrapped up this series and didn't talk to you about guardrails as they pertain to your money. See, most of us don't like when preachers talk about money because you feel pressured, you feel guilted. Sometimes you've been manipulated. I do not roll like that, never have, never will. And so more than anything today, I'm not really going to talk to you so much about your money and what you should do with it in relation to the church. But I want to talk to you about the way in which Jesus Christ was so passionate about this that he talked about money more than any other subject in the Bible other than the kingdom of God. And he did so, listen... Because he knew that money was his greatest competitor for your heart. Come on. Oh, now see, this crowd here is getting excited about it. I love that because here's the deal. You know this, don't you? That in reality is the one thing that competes for our allegiance, our devotion, come on, our worship is the almighty dollar. And Jesus knew that. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, hopefully you're already there. Jesus comes out early in his ministry and he spoke about money. And he not only spoke about it early in his ministry, he spoke about it throughout his ministry, spoke about it in the end of his ministry. Money was a very important subject because Jesus knew that if he could get a person's heart, if he could get a person's mind, if he could get a person to serve him with their money... He's got a fully devoted follower on his hands that he can bless. Amen. Oh, we're going to have fun. See, I didn't have anything to worry about with this group. Matthew chapter 6. I love it. Way to go, church. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start with verse 24. If you're ready for the word, say, bring it. Matthew 6, 24. No one can. What's that word right there? No one can what? Two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one 
and despised him. Now, if you've got your Bibles open or your, your, uh, your iPads or whatever, circle or highlight the words serve and devoted. They mean basically the same thing. You cannot serve both God and what, church? You cannot serve both God and money. Now, as I talk about this subject of money, I need to let you know that most people, not just in the world, but most people in the church, fall into one of two camps. I can explain it to you like this. With the subject matter of money, there's a guardrail. I'm not, I'm not coming over. Don't worry. <laughs> there, it, it, I, I've talked about going over the guardrails into the ditches of life. But with money, there's kind of a ditch on each side. There's a ditch on each side of the subject matter of money. And there's usually one extreme or the other. And here are the two extremes. The first extreme are the what? Help me out. The consumers. The consumers. And I'm talking about those who like, I mean, they're big time consumers. You might be married to a big time consumer. A consumer is a person who all they want to do is spin, 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 spin. Show of hands if you're married to it. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are married to consumers. I mean, consumers are the ones, I mean, they consume everything. They, they, they sometimes have multiple homes, multiple cars, multiple this, multiple that. They don't think about the future. They're like, hey, hey, you can't take it with you, baby. Let's spend it and party. That's the consumers, right? There's, <laughs> there's another group, though. And they're called the hoarders. Show of hands if you're married to a hoarder. No, 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 no. Hoarders. Hoarders are those that they're scared of the future. They, they stockpile stuff. They think the bad day's coming. And that you, you're going to their attics. You're going to their basements. Man, they got stuff stockpiled. You know, enough toilet paper for 2,000 years. Right? Soup, guns, ammunition. And I always like to have fun with the hoarders because I know some hoarders, man. And they're like, what are you going to do when it all goes down? I'm like, I don't have to worry about it. I know you and I'm coming to your house. <laughs> right, right. So, so hoarders, man. And if you're not married, single people up in the house, you need to know this. Opposites attract. And, and consumers often marry hoarders. And hoarders marry consumers. And the fireworks fly, baby. You got to kind of work through this, right? Consumers and hoarders. Now, here's what you need to know about both of those ditches on each side of the guardrail. There's one word, one word that links consumers with hoarders. There's one common denominator, if you will. And it is the word, I hope you're writing this down. It is the word greed. Greed. Consumers and hoarders might be very different in their approach. But the one thing that links the consumer to the hoarder and the hoarder to the consumer is that they both operate out of a position of greed. The consumer is all about the greed now. <laughs> the hoarder is all about the greed later. And what you need to know if you are a greedy person, I just want to say this up front too. Like I know there, there are very few of you right now going, I ain't greedy. 
And there are very few of you right now that are saying that I am greedy. Greed, greed is an interesting subject. I've never had anybody actually say to me, I, I'm greedy. It's a hard subject, isn't, isn't it, to admit. But I'm not going to convict. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work on you. Only you can define, decide if you're greedy or not. But here's what you need to know if you are greedy. If you are greedy, the greedy person operates from the position that there really is not a God. In terms of your finances. Now, I know, I know, I know. None of you would say there's not a God. You're in church, right? That's why you're here. But if you really go to work on greed and you really study the subject matter, and if you really get to know a greedy person, and come on, we're all greedy to some extent. Whenever I start to default toward being greedy with my finances, I'm starting to operate from a position as if there's not a God. Because it's clear in Scripture what the Bible says about how I handle my money. And if my greed overrides that, then even though my almighty dollar might say in God I trust, oh no, in God I do not trust. I'm basically like, God, you sit over there and stay. God, sit. Stay. Now that might work with your dog. That might work with your spouse every now and then. But God will play backseat to no one or nothing. And we might say, God, you sit, you stay. Shh. I know what the Bible says about money. But I'm not going to obey you. I'm going to live in my greed. And when I do that, if you're a greedy person, and again, I'm going to let you decide whether you're greedy or not. Number one, if you are, you know that greed... And greediness is a miserable way to live your life. And secondly, you need to know that you're operating from a position in the financial realm. That God really doesn't exist. That is the primary problem with greed. And here's the simple solution. It's simple, but hard to live out. Three words. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. Three words that I want to give you today that combats the greed. I teach my kids this. This is where the jars come from. Give, save, live. What is it? Come on, church. What is it? Your feedback was so awesome, I knew something was wrong. <laughs> Way to go. Oh, we're having fun today. That was not a part of the plan. It really is simple. Hard to live out. Now listen to me closely. I'm talking to you about guardrails around your finances, not so that the church can get more money. I'm talking to you about guardrails around your finances, not so that I can get more money. I don't get a raise based on this stuff, church. I don't set my own salary. That's a guardrail that I put up in my life. I have, I've never set my own salary, okay? So it has nothing to do with Benji. What I'm trying to teach you today 
is that the reason Jesus spoke so much about money, the reason the entire Bible spoke so much about money, the reason the Old Testament spoke about giving your first fruits and the New Testament ups the ante, the reason that the Bible is so clear on money is because, again, the greatest competitor for your allegiance and devotion is money. Like, like most of you don't sit around thinking, well, should I, should I worship Satan or God? If you do, I'm glad you're here. That's a different sermon for another day. There might be another church for you. Is that, I don't know. Uh, but, but we're glad you're here. But most of you don't sit around going, am I going to worship Satan or God today? But what we subtly think about and what we subtly live out is our devotion and our allegiance to money over God. This is a matter of obedience or disobedience. Come on, church. And the reason giving your money to the purposes of God is a thread that runs throughout the entire Bible is because it is God's way of setting up a guardrail in your life and in my life so that if I get in the habit of giving systematically a percentage of my money, the Bible is all about percentage giving. If I get in the habit of giving a percentage of my money to God first, I will have broken the devotion and the allegiance and the surrender to almighty dollar instead of almighty God. And the only way I know to really unpack this for you today is to just share with you what I do with my children. Like, we teach our children this. And you can get these things at the Christian bookstore. There's this is red, yellow, and green. They're three different compartments, and it has like... Give, save, and spend. So we teach our children to give, save, and spend. So allow me to just address for just a moment those of you who are sitting there and you're suspicious of people like me. Come on, come on. Allow me to just delve into the reality that some of you are sitting. See, there's multiple groups when a preacher talks about money, multiple groups. Some of you are like, yes, man, finally, praise God. Preach it, pastor. We need some help up in here. I'm giving my tithe. I want everybody else to give theirs. That's one group. The other group is like, darn. I should have stayed home today. <laughs> but there's another group that I don't think I've ever addressed from the stage before. There's another group and you're sitting there and you're suspicious. What's he get out of it? What's he want? I've seen people like him. Screens, big church. So let me just address that for a moment. Why would I teach my children? Because we give them an allowance. We give our kids an allowance, right? And um, I will skip a month in the name of Jesus. And they weep and gnash their teeth. But if they don't work, they aren't getting an allowance. You don't just get an allowance for sucking oxygen. (laughs) So they work. And so I'll skip a month. And when I skip a month, they weep and gnash their teeth. But when they do work and I give them them their allowance, why? Why would I teach my children this? Why would I teach my children to tithe 10% of what I give them 
back into this church. Why would I do that? Let's think of a couple of scenarios. Maybe I do that because the church really, really, really needs their $4 tithe. (laughs) Or maybe I do that because we need to change some light bulbs around here. And if they don't tithe that $4, then we're going to have some light bulbs go out. Maybe... Maybe it's because when the service is over, I slip into the room where the counters are counting the money with a big pillowcase. And maybe I rake the money into a pillowcase. And this is how I steal from this church. Another guardrail, by the way. In 12 years, I've never counted an offering at this church. Just don't do it. Just don't touch it. Have no need to. Now, you might believe one of those theories. But here's what I'm here to tell you. The reason I teach my children what I'm trying to teach you today, giving as a guardrail, is because I don't want my children that I love to be devoted and worshiping and have their ultimate allegiance wrapped up in money. I don't want there to be this great competition in their soul and their spirit over whether or not they're going to worship God or whether or not they're going to worship the almighty dollar. I don't want my four future daughters-in-law to marry a Kelly boy who cannot get his financial world in order. And I don't want some hairy-legged punk Just kidding. Some great man of God to marry my daughter and she worship the dollar bill. See, I I love my kids and I love this church. And this is not about like we need your money. You do know, don't you, that Benji could take his tithe check, though I don't write checks anymore, I do automatic giving, but when I used to write checks, I could take my tithe check, put salt on that bad boy and eat it, and God's going to be okay. (laughs) Come on, guys. God doesn't need our money. But aren't you glad that God uses our money and lets us to participate in the things of God? Aren't you glad God loves to partner with his children? So this is huge. And so Jesus just continues. Look at verse 24 again. Let's just keep going back to the text. No one can serve God. We already looked at this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both what? Okay. Would you say, I don't, we don't have masters. This is America. <laughs> oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. Money makes a terrible master. But it makes a great servant. Did you hear me? And too many of us walk around and the money has mastered us instead of us mastering the money. So he says, you can't serve both. And then he continues. Look at this. So do not worry, verse 31. Circle the word worry. 
Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Okay? So, so Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't worry for the pagans run after these things. And please underline this next part in your Bible. And your heavenly father knows that you what, church? So maybe, maybe what some of us need today is not so much a lesson on money. Maybe what you need today is to just simply walk away from this church today, realizing, listen to me, that God knows the situation you're in. Thank you, Lord. Some of you are here and you sit up at night and you worry, worry, worry. Some of you are here and you worry about putting your kids through college. Some of you are here and you worry about paying bills. And some of those are legitimate concerns. And some of you are here worried about whether or not you can get a car. And worried about whether you're going to get fired. Or worried about whether you're going to get the promotion. And you worry, 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 worry. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is preaching on money. And he says, so don't worry. Your heavenly father knows your predicament. Oh, I wish you could see what I see up here sometimes. The relief that that just gave some of you. Again, maybe what some of you need to do is walk away from here today realizing God knows. God knows that I live in the 21st century. Come on, maybe you haven't thought about this, but God is sovereign. God knows the cost of living in the 21st century. Like I tell myself this sometimes, I got five kids. It's like, God knows, right? God, you know, right? Okay, God, I'm going to believe that you know what it's going to take to put these youngins through college, right? God knows, right? And he cares. He not only knows, but he cares. And some of you, you're worried, you're stressed, you're tight, and you're over here and you're saying, God, sit, stay, shh. I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to sit over here and worry. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. What you really need to do is learn to trust me. And when you trust me and you get open handed and you invite me into your financial world, then I am free to bless your life. But as long as you worry and you stress like, did you get the word? The pagans do. Now that's a strong word. Pagan. Pagan is someone with total disregard for God. Pagan is someone who doesn't believe in God. A pagan is someone who will thumb their nose at God. Jesus said the pagans worry and run after such things. But the child of God knows that their heavenly father cares for them. And you go from this to sit, stay to this. God comes in. And I'm here to tell you, church, he can do more with your 90% and him in the equation than he could ever do with 100% and you telling him to sit and stay. I want this so, so bad for you. Like I want this 
for my children. And so Jesus continues, verse 33. But seek, right? What's that word? Seek what? Come on, come on, a little bit louder. Come on, seek. Jesus is saying in the arena of your money, something's got to be at the front of the list. And you know this, don't you? And when you give and honor God first, God is at the top of the list. You are declaring to God week in and week out, God, you are worthy and I'm going to give you yours first. It's why the Old Testament called it first fruits. I was in Atlanta. Uh, I was about to say a few weeks ago, but it's been longer than that. Uh, in Atlanta, maybe a month or so ago, I was there for a, the launch of the John Maxwell Leadership Center. Been thinking and praying about this for some time with some friends of mine. We launched this thing and we brought Robert Morris in to preach. Now, Robert Morris is the pastor of Gateway Church in Texas. And it's a big church, but here's what's really cool about it. It is the most generous church in America by far. Um, Robert has been anointed to preach on this subject matter. So he's speaking uh, to this group, big, big conference. But we had about, uh, about 60 or 70 of us that just hung out with Robert one night. And we asked him to come and bring a word. And Robert preached a message on giving. Still to this day just rocked me. And I was so thankful he shared it with the pastors. Because by the way, all pastors don't have this figured out. He preaches this message on giving. And he had $10. And he said, okay, I want, to, I want to test you guys. He goes, we all know what a tithe is, 10% apodicato. He goes, I got $10 here. I want you to imagine that I gave a dollar to my kids. And I want you to imagine that I gave a dollar to retirement. I gave a dollar to pay toward my mortgage. I gave a dollar to this. And he got over here to get about seven or eight. He goes, and I gave a dollar to God, a dollar to God's church for his purposes in the world. He goes, is that a tithe? And some people in the room said, yes. And I knew, I knew to be, just kind of be quiet. <laughs> I thought it was a trick question, and it was. His point was, that's not a tithe. You know why that's not a tithe? Because it wasn't given first. The Bible says, seek first. Seek what, church? The Old Testament says first fruits throughout the entire Bible. It's as if giving is a test where God says, I'm going to give you your resources and you will show me that I am really Lord of your life if you give to me first. So my family, that's why we went to e-giving. My family, e-giving, first of the month, bam, every single month. It's our way of saying to God, you really are Lord. Seek first. Watch what it says here. His what church? His what? Kingdom and his, his right living. His right living. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So if you're not a believer. If you're not a Christian. And you just decided to come to church here today. We're so glad you're here. None of what I said thus far is for you. You can just take a buy from any of this. But if you're a Christian, if you're baptized, born again, child of God, I want this so bad for you. Not for me, but for you. 
Giving is the way in which God says to you, put up a guardrail. And if you will habitually honor me with the tithe, you will declare to me that I am your Lord and master and you will invite me into your financial world. I want it for you. But you know what? I also want it for this church. I would not be completely truthful if I didn't say to you, and we'll end with this. Could you imagine what this church could do if we get this one right? See, some of you think, oh man, that church has plenty of money. That's the big church. They even got moving lights. TVs, right? Fountains. We, like most churches in America, we're not doing too well in this area. Now, 2014 has started strong, and it's really, really strong, and I'm excited about what God's going to do with us. Amen? Amen. But let me just share the reality with you. Statistics say, and I think it's true here, most Christians give around 2 to 3% of their income to God. And hey, come on, come on, we're doing pretty good, aren't we, on 2 to 3% of our income as a church? We're doing pretty good, right? Got a nice building. Got 36 acres of land here in the epicenter of North Carolina. We got eight campuses. And you might think, well, that's good, that's good, that's good enough. Could you imagine what we could do if God's people called New Hope started to honor God with their finances? Could you imagine what God could do? Because we're a big church now. We got lots of influence in the world. Could you imagine what he could do with us if his children just said, you know what? I'm just going to put a stake in the ground. I'm going to decide I'm tired of lying to God. I'm tired of disobeying God. I'm tired of worshiping as if God didn't exist and worshiping the dollar bill. I'm actually going to do the math. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it automatically with e-giving because that's going to help me be more faithful. Could you imagine? Like we probably wouldn't even have to take an offering on Sunday. Some of you are like, that's what I'm talking about. We were in Kenya, and I came across this orphanage that my wife had researched, and we wanted to see if it was legit. It's called the Ark. 31 of the most beautiful children on three-quarters of an acre of land. You know why the children are there? Because the government finds them in the slums thrown on the side of the road. And they bring them to this place called the Ark. I've never seen a more beautiful embodiment of the hands and feet of Christ. I came back. I mean, art, the ark, you're going to hear about this at the membership meeting. But like, we're going to support the ark every month as a church. Amen? Christian leaders, beautiful organization. And I thought, man, if we were to get this right, we could start our own orphanages. New Hope, Kenya. Bohok, Haiti. Kiria, Kenya, these villages that we're in, we're only making a dent in the world, church. Could you imagine what we could do? Better put, could you imagine what God could do with us if we get this one right? Come on back.
back across the ocean. Let's get here in, in North Carolina. Can you imagine how we can impact the children and the students of our church if we get this one right? Could you imagine how we could have a leadership development center here where we as a church are not just getting old and dying, right? But we're pouring into the next generation. We're raising up leaders to shine the light of Christ in the dark world when you're gone and I'm gone. Can you imagine the staff we could hire? Could you imagine when we, when we knock the walls out of this building? And that's coming. I mean, we're out of room, right? Could you imagine... We would never even have to have a capital campaign. We wouldn't. Capital ca- Church New Hope wouldn't have to have a capital campaign. You know why? Because the generosity would be flowing so much that there is no telling what we could do in the world. We can do this. And I challenge you and I encourage you, and I admit it on two levels. One is for your own life, for you to plant and establish some guardrails in your finances. God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give right off the top your tithe to your church, to the glory and honor of Jesus. I'm going to save for my future and I'm going to live on the rest. 10, 10, 80. It's about what I teach my children. I want it for you, but listen to me. I want it for our church. Because if we do, hear me church. You think you've seen something in 12 years? I think I've seen something in 12 years. We haven't seen anything. If God's people start getting this one right, the best is yet to come. In your life, in my life, but also in the life of this church. Can I get an amen? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for your people. And God, I just want to acknowledge that I know that this one lands in different places for different people. And I also want to acknowledge, God, that it's easier said than done. I pray for every single person here, God, and those at all of our campuses. Father, I pray that that your spirit would come in and where there needs to be encouragement, you would encourage. God, where there needs to be challenge, you would challenge. God, where there needs to be confession, repentance, that that would take place today, God. And that we would leave here today fully aware of the fact that you are still our heavenly father and you know you know where we are and what we're up against and you not only know but you care so give us the courage God to invite you in do your work in our hearts right now father thank you for receiving us Just as we are. Just as we are, we come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. May God bless you and thank you for being a part of our church family.